0: There we go. Hello, and welcome to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. This is season two, and I'm your host, Beverly Roche. On this season, I'll have some exciting guests talking about their experiences in cybersecurity, along with a four-part series on scams and fraud. Looking forward to you joining me for this season. My incredibly supportive colleagues, Jonathan and Jason, thank you at CyberAware, are supporting my production for the podcast for the next few series, which is really kind of them. Hey, go check out their next-gen security awareness training at cyberaware.com. This morning on the podcast, I'm going to be joined by Jan Marshall. Jan has been absolutely everywhere in media around her personal challenge with a romance fraud, basically, and we're going to talk to Jan. who's very generously giving everybody her time. She's actually written a book which looks really interesting romance scam survivor, the whole story. She's very willing to talk about this. She wants this to be demystified. She wants victim blaming to stop. And she's got some very interesting things um, to talk to us about. She runs a support group and the support group is called Life After Scams. Jan, can you share your experience at going online for the first time to an online dating site?
1: I actually had moved states. So I've moved moved from Brisbane to Melbourne, and so I found myself without a network of people to do things with. So that's when I thought I would go online. I really wanted to explore Victoria. And um, so I went onto a dating site. It was the first time, and I had not been in a relationship for many years, and within uh, a couple of days, I was approached by what looked, by his photos, to be a very good-looking, um, mature engineer. Now, for me, engineer said um, somebody who was at least intelligent, uh, scientifically oriented, uh, had been through university, so uh, and probably, you know, reasonably articulate. And and that's how he presented himself to me as we uh, got to know each other. Um, and, you know, first of all, there were emails going backwards and forwards with whole lists of, uh, you know, questions about what you liked and you didn't like. And, and, you know, and I just thought, oh, that's a great way to get to know, you know, a bit more in depth about each other. But within a couple of days of that, he started to say, um, you know, I'm not going to look for anybody else online and I'm taking my profile down. And, um, you know, over time it was, you know, I'm really um, interested in you. uh, And then over more time it becomes, I think you're the one for me. I think you're special. I think the universe has brought us together. You know, they are very good at making this much bigger than just the little things of chatting together. They make it, you know, I've been waiting my whole life for you. So it's it's very intoxicating in those uh, early days where they uh, start professing more and stronger love for you. And I fell for it. I absolutely fell for it.
0: For those that have never experienced this before... Can you explain to everyone listening, how does it work? How do they move you off the dating
1: site? Do they move you to text or email? Absolutely, they do. And there's a couple of reasons for this. One, I think it allows them to have more control over contact with you and to make it frequent and to be doing it at all times of the day and night, which would look a bit fishy if you were on a dating site. And the second part of that is by that allows them to take uh, their profile off the dating site. So it makes it harder for the dating site to find out that they are a scammer as well. So it's partly their own protection. And and also, they don't want to talk to somebody else once they've got you in their bag. So they don't want people to keep contacting them. They'll put up a different profile to attract somebody else.
0: Jan, look, there's some really key points here. You know, the dating sites have good algorithms to pick up this um, behaviour. Some dating sites do.
1: The reputable
0: ones, some of the others, not so much. Seems that they get you off to text or email very quickly. You know, how many, typically how many conversations... You know, would you have in one day given
1: the intensity? Oh, God, I've never actually counted it uh, for a day. There certainly would have been at least one major interaction and possibly a number of smaller interactions. So text messages going backwards and forwards, plus one conversation on phone or um, uh, webcam. And of course, the thing with the webcam was that their side would never work. Uh, you know, my scammer was seeing me, but I wasn't seeing him. Now,
0: <laughs> it's interesting you describe this because you described it as what's called love bombing. That's incredibly intoxicating. And other people that deal with cyber crime and scammers say the same thing, that you really just feel like you're...
1: Totally under their control. Yes, yes. And, and, of course, this is deliberate. They want you to fall in love with them because they then have you uh, totally under their control. And I've looked at, for example, you know, we talk about uh, what people are like when they're in the honeymoon phase. And this is exactly what happens. The uh, neurotransmitter oxytocin comes into effect Now, some of the things that oxytocin does is, firstly, intense bonding. And oxytocin is one of the things that is generated when a mother has a baby and you see how that mother-child bonding lasts a lifetime. That's how strong it is. It also increases empathy. So when the scammer starts to come up with, you know, things going wrong, you're going to be empathetic. It increases the amount of trust you have. Uh, So when they say they're going to give you the money back and they will be there to see you soon, you believe them, uh, it reduces anxiety and increases your sense of cooperation. Now, I'm I'm reading from a list here because this is all the stuff that that research says about uh, oxytocin and there's more, there's altruism. You sacrificing uh, yourself financially for your loved one, it increases generosity. It encourages us to take risks and not see possible dangers implicit in the relationship. Um, and if they do engage with cyber sex, and and many of them do, that's going to increase the bonding again because it's one of the the, the factors that you know happens uh, during sex. You know, so all of these things, that's the state we get into when we're in that honeymoon stage of being in love. And, you know, I was thinking about this this morning in preparation for the talk, and it feels like you're in a bubble and nothing else is going on outside. Nothing else from outside can get in either.
0: Jan, this is really interesting. This is NLP. Absolutely, isn't
1: it? I describe it as an altered state. I've had, you know, seen some people who describe it as an addiction and I don't think so. I think it's much more like being in a state of hypnosis and an altered state. And yes, when you say people, uh, it's like NLP, you've got to understand these people are extremely skilled, extremely skilled at getting you into that love state and the psychological manipulation that goes uh, part of that. And sometimes when we say the word scammer, we think, oh, they're just trying to trick us. But it's much more than that. These people are, and I know we're jumping ahead a bit, but these, um, you know, these people are criminals belonging to criminal gangs who are doing this to us deliberately.
0: And, you know, this is, and they're cyber yes. criminals. That's all they are. When I talk to Ken Gamble, He said they've been trained. They are absolutely trained. Jan, people told you along the way this was a scam. Yes. How did you justify this to yourself and to others? You know, what were
1: you really thinking about? There was a couple of things. One uh, was that um, I felt I had a right to be loved You know, why can't I have this love that everybody else seems to have? And, you know, there were many sort of uh, couples around me in, you know, long-term relationships and I wanted that too. So part of it was me rebelling against their uh, suggestion that there might be some danger there. Uh, But the other part of it was um, it was so intimate I didn't think a scammer would be this intimate. And so that's part of the disconnect there, that we don't think scammers are intelligent. We don't think scammers are able to confuse or hogwash us. You know, I, again, I was thinking this morning, they make promises. They promise you to give them the money back. They promise to love you forever forever. And, you know, they actually use the word promise too, but it's a lie. But we believe them. You know, and again, I've looked at some of the research and the research says that 60% of the time we don't know if somebody's lying or not.
0: You know, it's easy to, you know, love online, isn't it? Because we miss all the face-to-face cues and all those body language things that indicate that someone's not telling the truth. You know, online, especially when you say his, his cam um, never worked, so you, you just wouldn't have been able to pick up any of those cues. So, Jan, timeline-wise, what period of time had passed before he started asking you for money?
1: Look, I think it was about four weeks, but, but by the time... It's very quick. And by that time, of course, he had asked me to marry him and I'd said yes. That's how strong it is, you know, when they get you into this state. Coming back to your question of why did I reject the warnings that I had? And it was probably also that it just felt so good. I didn't want it to stop. I wanted to, I wanted for once in my life, to let this go its course and see where it would go. Delia
0: Ricard from the ACCC mentioned and described exactly what you're descri- you're describing. It feels so good and you know our desire as humans to love and be loved. Um you know We're entitled to it.
1: The the other thing that we've got to take into account here that the romantic love ideal is very, very strong in our culture as something that we should seek, that we should expect to have in our relationships and that is our right to have. And they offer this in a way nobody else does. I remember seeing on one of the... um, Programs on the ABC uh, meet the scammer. Some young men in Ghana, and they actually commented that they say to things to people that nobody else says to them. You know that they are loved, that they are special. That you know. So four weeks,
0: marriage, and money. Do you know? Do you know what the purpose of the first instalment was?
1: Well, this is, this is where I think they get very very. Skilled because they've learned from those times that where they've been speaking to you to know what you would accept. And for me, because I was in corporate business at the time, I was very business oriented. Oriented. He had some business expenses uh, that he 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 had miscalculated and need some help with. And uh, when it came to the crunch, I made a clear decision to give him that money because of love, I didn't want to be in a state of caution or, um, uh, you know, anxiety about this. This was this was a, a man I thought was going to be my partner for life and what was mine was his. So I, I sent him. That first one was quite a large amount. It was uh, uh, over $30,000, which I had in the bank. So, it wasn't a question of not being, but always it's set up as a loan. and And you know that was just the first thing, and then there was tax. and then when I, I gave him money for the tax, and he went to pay it, and he got robbed on the way, and so I had to give it to him again. and then then he was then he was threatened to pay the other half of his tax, and it it goes on and on, and there's more stories. And you know, so I, over that time i i I loaned him. Over two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. I was only in contact with him for seventy-two days. That's ten weeks. Right. Ten weeks.
0: And by that time you had given him two hundred and sixty thousand?
1: Yes. I'd given him all my savings. I'd given him I'd taken out extra credit card loan. I was starting to get desperate. I took money out of my self-managed super fund, which I was not allowed to do. Whoa. So at this you're point right. I was doing illegal things. Yeah.
0: And were there any cues there when for you was that moment
1: of oh, I think this is a scam? <sighs> that that's very hard. I mean, the first couple of times he was actually on the phone with me while I was walking through sending that money via Western Union at the post office. So he very much hand me mm, through that. To make sure it happened. And to get the, you know, the codes and so on, he needed to get the money out quickly. And I would walk away there thinking, I know this could be a scam, but it couldn't be. A scammer would not be this intimate with me. And that went on and to, towards the end of that, I felt there was not so much contact Uh, it was getting very, very difficult for him. Uh, Supposedly he was in a car accident on the way to the airport and, you know, then I'm having a woman ring up saying she's a nurse and another one ring up saying she's a doctor and they need money for medical expenses. He's given me his next of kin and stuff like that. This is just tragic, isn't it? So it's a whole... It's a team of people, absolutely. This is not an... It's
0: a small army battling to get money out of you. So when did the contact stop when he had this car accident?
1: It went on a little bit from there, uh, but I had totally run out of money to give him. um, And, you know, eventually he supposedly got onto the plane. Uh, His last text to me was, um, thank you for everything. I love you so much.
0: And where was the plane? Was he coming here to meet you or?
1: No, he was going back to England. Right. Where I assumed he would be able to access his bank account. Right. He had a bank account in England uh, that he'd sent me a copy of a statement of that had, you know, several million pounds in it. So, you know, they set themselves up as a moneyed person, even if they can't access that money for some reason. And it was only when he didn't contact me again over the next week that I realised, oh, this actually is a scam.
0: I think that's really telling, the lengths that we will go because we're so convinced.
1: Uh, With my um, Romance Scam Survivor blog site, I've had a lot of uh, victims contact me over the years with that. And, you know, one of the things that really struck me was somebody who said to me, I'd speak to him every day. Not even my family speak to me every day. Yeah. There's some other things I'd like to talk about. When that moment of
0: realisation, when you realised it was a scam, what did you do
1: next? Uh, the first thing I did was got in touch with those people who had warned me mm. and admitted they had been right. Right. And I would say the following weeks... Uh, From that, I was in a state of intense shock. Mm. Um, I was in, uh, you know, intense grief because, of course, you're hitting grief for the lost uh, relationship, grief for the lost imagined future that you were going to have and grief at the lost money. It's
0: just the biggest triple whammy of all. And you talk about also you know, that process of going through absolute disbelief. Yes. You know, the lost dream, the lost future opportunity of having that long-term relationship. And, of course, all the things that go with that, because we know that there are a lot of online crimes that cause victim blaming, you know, shame.
1: There's a huge amount of shame uh, that goes on um, with this you know, the how-could-you-be-so-stupid line is very, very prevalent. And what I now see that as is that some people don't want to believe it can happen to them, so they put it back on to the victim. But the, the other thing here is that because there is nothing seeming to focus on getting the perpetrator... The only person that there seems to be available to blame is the victim.
0: So when I talk to Dave Lacey from ID Care, Ken Gamble who retrieves large sums of money and the Commissioner about scams, we all know that that number is up almost up around a billion dollars that Australians lose in scams. So do the maths there are a lot of people that are being victims of scams. They're just not willing. And so we really got to bring this spotlight out into the cyber criminals, not on the victim, basically. We want to hear the victim stories and it's amazing that you're sharing it. But it's it's a crime. And so you went to
1: the police? I went to the police the following weekend. That was so hard to do, to oh. go and... You know, admit this. Um, my local police station—they basically just took the details. Luckily, they weren't. I didn't feel too much um, negativity from them. They took yeah. the documents. They took the um, story, but and and they certainly um, gave the the names to Western Union, so the names couldn't mm. be used again. Yeah, uh, but that's really all they did. And it's not the police's fault. It's just that,
0: as Ken Gamble described, and I work in computer crime, you know, as a cyber security professional, it takes a massive amount of resources to digitally trace these people, and you have to have a small. They've got a small army, and I need a small army of people to go and look at their digital footprints and work out. And then I have to get it in front of a judge to convince the judge some sort of conviction.
1: And if they're in another country, how do you go about doing that?
0: Well, that's right because, you know, our our powers don't, don't go to some of these other countries, only countries where we've got trade agreements with. So, you know, they've found a real gap in the market. And David Lacey tells us, you know, we're one of the countries of choice. There's five countries in the world that they target. And we are one of the countries of choice. We had a workshop a little while ago with a group of cybersecurity professionals. And one person came up with this great idea that we could try and treat it like a Me Too. That, you know, we could all start telling one website (laughs) all the scams. And when we do the big reveal on this, people will be horrified to understand how prevalent this is, that it's your neighbour, it's your sister, it's your cousin. You know, we don't know if it's one in five because we have no visibility. That's the issue, isn't
1: it? I know um, Julia said they'd done some research and they certainly uh, have an estimation, but, you know, the best that I've heard is 10 to 12% of people are reporting So if you take the amount that's lost, which is what, half a billion, and multiply that by 10 times, it it could be as big as that and we wouldn't know.
0: You know, so then you got this impetus a couple of years later after all of this to establish this life after scams.
1: I I established my my blog site, Romance Scam Survivor, uh, at that time. That was early 2015 and I spent a, a good couple of years, you know, writing, exploring, researching, trying to understand it all because one of the things that happens is with the, with the state of oxytocin that you come through, after you come out of it, you think, how did I do that? How come that happened? I'm a rational person. I should know better. And and so this, you know, I did a lot of exploration, and that's where most of my understanding has come come from. Life after scams is really much more recent, where I've really seen that um, there is no focus on support for victims, uh, and and yet they need it desperately. They are in desperate states.
0: A profound question: How did you recover? What do you think was? The formula for recovering from this?
1: It's a very hard thing to say. And I, I guess you've got to define what recovery is. I was certainly able to, you know, continue working and, and get on with my life. But I wasn't functioning well for that first couple of years. I remember I got some feedback. I went out with somebody one day and got some feedback sometime later that they experienced me as not being very friendly. I didn't believe I was worth being anybody's friend. It wasn't until I started speaking out about it that I started to regain some self-respect because I was standing up and saying, I made a mistake, I'm human and each time I did, I I felt better and better about myself. And so for that, those years, sort of 15 through sort of 17, I did a lot of press, any sort of press I could do, I said yes to. So I did articles, I did TV, um, you know, and those sorts of things get posted up. And then you read some of the comments afterwards and half of them are, how could she be so stupid? And the other half are... I really support her in yeah. saying this.
0: We see that rubbish on Twitter right now, you know. So some of those things haven't changed. How could you be so stupid, you know. And we've just got to culturally stop this rubbish from happening and start moving moving towards a more supportive community. So what's the call to action in terms of for people that have are listening to this that have been, been scammed through a relationship scam, or think that someone they know is in the process. What would you What would you say to them?
1: Um, for those who have been scammed, uh, what we provide at Life After Scams is one a, a a listening ear. You know, and one of the things I've found and uh, through my romance scam survivor side is many people would write to me and tell me their story. Um, and they tell me they have not told anybody else, and they won't tell anybody else. But I respond, and oh, they say thank you so much, you know, that somebody understands. So just the listening ear from a perspective of somebody who's been through it is is very important in the first instance. Uh, the the more in depth services we are working with at Life After Scams is is secondly good psychological help from psychologists who understand the process. Uh, and I've worked with a number that we have available for people. And then thirdly, more in-depth uh, recovery programs like the stuff that's being provided by Brene Brown. Now, if you know Brene Brown, she's one of the people who's done most work on um, shame and understanding shame. She's a uh, an American professor Uh, And there are a number of people uh, across Australia who are trained in her work. And her work takes people from that damaged state and, and finds a way to rebuild them.
0: If you think that someone you know is in the process of being manipulated And con by a cyber criminal in a relationship scam. What do you is there a cue, is there something you could say to them that would help them? This is
1: the most difficult thing that I've been dealing with over the years because I have not found anything that will break through to them. You know, when I get family come to me I say I won't talk to them because if they don't believe their own family, they're not going to believe me. Unless that victim is willing to make the contact with me, I won't talk to them because I honestly don't think it'll help.
0: The very famous scammer, Frank Abagnale, has a podcast and he says there are two red flags. And uh, I agree with you. These two red flags might work for other scams, but I don't think works for the relationship scam. And look, these are two basic things. The red flags are they move off the platform that they're on very, very quickly so they can go undetected and they ask you for personal information and for money. So it's usually personal information, then money. Very quickly thereafter are the kind of two red flags. We are so grateful for you to share your story. Now, how do people find you? Um, give us the details because you offer an amazing service. There's got to be people out there that need help.
1: You can either contact me via my romance org site or the lifeafterscams.org.
0: And Jan, thank you so much for sharing all those insights you know, walking us through the shame and the victim blaming and just the devastating consequences of the romance scam. prison. Thanks for listening to the Cybersecurity Cafe podcast. You can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter or all the W's, cybersecuritycafe.com.au.